Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Courtney, how are you? It's rivalry week. Are you jacked up? I guess so. Um, This is about as jacked as I'm going to get. You know what? Here's what I'm nervous for. I'm nervous for Deshaun Kaiser. I'm nervous about the possibility that I am going to drive from my wonderful warm home in Richfield, Minnesota to Lambeau Field in Green Bay and see Deshaun Kaiser play. That's what I'm afraid of. Well, the good thing is it'll still be warm in Green Bay because this game is happening marginally earlier than it typically happens. But that's not that's not my like. My but you, you brought up warm home, but, so I mean, know, clearly, it's, it's, clearly, it's a priority. You for don't you. know what the weather is going to be on Sunday. I, I actually looked at forecast; it's going to be pretty nice. Things can change quickly in this region, <laughs> as we've seen. Things can change quickly at the quarterback position. Too. Oh yes, they can. Set me up. Uh, for that's that one. a tremendous point. Um, so we've got a lot to get to on this episode. Talk about Kirk Cousins and situational football. We'll get into some of that. Um, <laughs> Because you asked uh, Mike Zimmer about fourth quarters and uh, Kirk Cousins, too. So we'll talk about that a little bit. D-line rotation, um, Mike Hughes and and his role and what that means for Mackenzie Alexander. But first, the story of the week, Aaron Rodgers, will he play? Now, I've been just sort of going on the assumption like, yeah, he's going to play. But someone pointed out to me that the Vegas line is favoring the Vikings by quite a bit. Mm -hmm which makes me think that there's concern in Vegas that Deshaun Kaiser will be the quarterback. And now as we get closer, I'm sort of feeling like it's a 50-50 proposition. Yeah, I got a note about that yesterday, that Westgate super contest line. Uh, They're favoring, they have the Vikings minus seven. So they're assuming he's not playing at all. And I just wonder how, I'm not a huge odds person or predictions or gambling or anything like that. So it is kind of, I understand the surface level of it, but how are you, when we've seen examples of this before and in much worse circumstances, how are they that confident that he's not playing? Like, 
I I think he's going to play. I'm with the Vikings. I'm you prepare for this team as if number 12 is the quarterback and you know that he's going to probably be less mobile, but you also know that doesn't make him a statue back there because he in 28 of his 30 passes last week came from inside the pocket. Yeah, the the idea that they're just going to be able to limit him because he is on a hobbled knee is really not true. I mean, he can do anything. And I think that's what Xavier Rhodes told us yesterday was it doesn't matter if he's moving around or not. Like, sure, that helps him, but he can sit back there and drop dimes anyway. With the Vikings pass rush, that might make a difference for how much he escapes, but he knew that anyway. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was not going to prepare for moving all over the place on the Vikings defensive line because he knows that they're completely stacked and looked phenomenal last week Mm -hmm. and Griffin and Hunter beasts. I mean, he knows that. So he was probably going to throw quick regardless. This is not his first time facing a Mike Zimmer defensive line. No, and the last time he escaped the pocket, look what happened to him against the Vikings defense. So, I mean, there might be, you'd think mentally there'd be some trepidation there. But, I mean, either way, the guy's a magician. Like, that's that's, that part of his game is the best part of his game. But I think the the, what you see with him throwing the ball quickly and, and having to, you know, take shots down the field and maybe only one or two reads... That's effective Aaron Rodgers, too. I mean, either version of Aaron that you get is going to be deadly. It's just a matter of the thing that's overlooked in this whole thing of is he going to play, is he not going to play. He needs more contributions from a lot of different areas on his team. I mean, his receivers were good last week from from Adams to Allison. And, you know, you take a look at uh, his tight ends. Where was Jimmy Graham? Where was the run game? Where was Ty Montgomery? Where were all these other parts that, you know, they were very one-dimensional last week. And that is not the way that you beat a Vikings defense. Now, I mean, I'd be happy to give what my prediction is going to be a little bit later on, but I don't see – I mean, this is this is even for Aaron Rodgers. Going against a defense of this strength is a humongous test. Yeah, I think uh, when he first got hurt, my prediction would have been, if you want to just talk about this now. Sure. Uh, my prediction would have been that the Packers still win this game because I thought, well, you know, he'll just come back and it'll be fine. He'll, you know, whatever, walk it off. <laughs> I mean, if he could do what he did yeah. on Sunday night, it's like, well, I mean, the guy is at least good enough to be able to make the throws that he did and drop an unbelievable dime in the back of the end zone. And playing at Lambeau, even if it's warm in, in the middle of the day, is still a, a pretty tough task. But as we get closer, especially with Devontae Adams yeah. dinged up. And he was on the rehab field again that on makes, Thursday. Yeah, that makes me a little more lean toward picking the Vikings for this one. Yeah, I have the Vikings by four. And it's simply for the fact that he doesn't have the supporting. I mean, what Rodgers did in on Sunday Night Football masks masks. I can't say that word. Masks. It, what? Masks. Is it hard? It's a hard word. But there's a K in there, and I'm not saying it. Masks. masks. Oh, you're just saying masts. It's kind of. I, I don't know. I need to go to some like I, the um, thing that's on a boat, like the mast. Like a mast. Yeah. No mask. mask. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> What he did covered up for a lot of the gaping areas that they have on their team. I think there's been just a lot of issues that, you know, there's a very incomplete game that they played. Look at what they were at, you know, at halftime. And that's just a matter of not just Kaiser, but they weren't playing so well even when he was playing in the first half. So, I mean, I think that they're going to get overmatched. And 11 on the number one defense might be too much for, you know, even just one quarterback who can do some godlike things. I mean, it's he's done some miraculous things, but 
is he going to get the contributions from everybody else he needs to be able to continue to do that? And I think the different looks that Zimmer showed us a little bit of in week one. Now, some of it was because of injury to get J. Ron Kurtz out there, but having J. Ron Kurtz blitz off the edge, mm-hmm. putting these things on tape of using three safeties at once, uh, that's an extra little wrinkle to throw at Aaron Rodgers as he has to rehab and then also mentally prepare for this game if he's playing. If he's not playing, we assume Vikings by 30, right? Like just if, yeah, if, he, if he's not playing, and I guarantee this will come out 11th hour on Saturday, Pro- mean, meaning like Saturday afternoon, something, some national guy will break the news that he is playing or he isn't playing. I think you still go into this thinking, of course he's going to play, but if he doesn't play and it's Deshaun Kaiser, you know, after trading Brett Hundley, then Vikings by maybe 30, 35. But assuming that he does, I thought it was interesting that in week one, it seemed Mike Zimmer wanted everybody to know that he's going to be doing things a little differently this week uh, or this year mm-hmm. with the personnel that he's going to use, mixing in the different defensive linemen. He said that he doesn't foresee as much offensive line shifting around of having especially four guys go in at the same time. Yeah, that happened. Okay, how many times did you count that happening? Cause o- I, only once. I counted it once when all of a sudden you see all four of them like ring around the rosy style holding hands running out. Not really, but um, that was something I think is, of course, you want your game, you want your starting guys. You want your Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter in there when there's a goal line situation like there was at the end of the first half or, you know, when the game's on the line, but I am curious to see what it looks like this week because they do run a lot of no huddle and how I don't know if they're going to be able to get that many guys in and out. Yep. I think that they might have to, if they're going to do it, start the drive with those players. But the problem there is, like you mentioned, if they get into the red zone, you can't just pull them off the field. Um, but at, at very least, Zimmer showed that he's going to use some different personnel. We might see George Iloka this week. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, didn't see him last week. Maybe not quite up to speed yet. Uh, Jaron Curse, I thought, played extremely well in the role that they gave him. And sending this giant six foot four nickel corner after the quarterback on a blitz is a really different look from what you usually see from a nickel corner that's 5'10. That, that not only is he just blitzing, which is a problem, but he's also got the wingspan and he can put his hands up in the air and just offer something a little bit different for a quarterback that's a small wrinkle, but it's something that now they have to take a look at. Uh, so, you know, if, if Rodgers was much closer to 100%, because it feels like if he plays, he's not going to be anywhere close, I would pick the Packers because even though some of their weapons aren't as good, uh, their defensive line is really good. And after what we saw last week, a so-so performance up front. But I think if you're talking about those guys against the Vikings offensive line, that might be a huge difference from what they saw against San Francisco. No, agreed. And I I mean, but I think we don't give San Francisco's defensive line enough credit. They were very, very good uh, in giving a lot of different exotic looks. And I think that that's something that's kind of the underrated part of Kirk Cousins' win that – it was kind of shaky once again, shaky up and down offensive line play. I mean, what happens when they face an elite defensive line? I'm not calling the Packers that. I mean, they see that two weeks from now, um, but it makes it makes you wonder where when is it really gonna get exposed? When is that offensive line? When are the holes gonna come off when there's you know no no pass protection uh, from the right side? Because I mean that's something that Rashad Hill's good at. His his run blocking's not good at all. But 
when does that part get of the game get exposed? I mean, Riley Reef is playing some of his best football right now, but he can't do that all on his own. And I think, honestly, the reason Tom Compton, you saw his grade, looks so high, the highest, I think, of his career from pro football focus, it's because of who he's playing next to and some of the things that they're able to combine on. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess with, with guys like Muhammad Wilkerson and, and just like how disruptive they can be up front, it is, Kirk is going to not probably have as much time to throw. I mean, he has he didn't really have that much time to throw. They pushed the pocket a lot. They forced him out of the pocket at least twice. Yeah. So I think it's going to be kind of this continued test of, you know, how they can aid in protections by maybe bringing in, you know, the inline blockers that we saw on several different occurrences with, you know, tight ends and CJ Ham and I guess, you know, with Dalvin and, you know, pass protection. But there's going to be, you know – I th- as I said, I think they win this game. I don't think it comes down to that, but it is definitely you bring up a very legitimate concern. Something that you were asking about with uh, Kirk and, and Mike Zimmer yesterday that was interesting to me was how Kirk played in the fourth quarter. That if the Vikings' defense had not picked off Jimmy Garoppolo twice late in that game, I think we might be talking about something quite different for this week about. Cousins struggling in the fourth quarter. So was that a sign of, yeah, this is why Kirk doesn't have a winning record in his career because of some of these issues and situations? Or was it just things didn't go that well in the fourth quarter and they'll get it corrected and go forward from that? Well, it's interesting because he had the worst statistical fourth quarter of his career where he's attempted at least one pass because he did – you know, in, if you if you count game-winning drives, I think it kind of de- depends on what statistics you use. So I used ESPN and I used Elias. Um, he has 12 – and this is, this is in games that they weren't leading, just to put a side note first. Um, he has 12 game-winning drives in the fourth quarter or in overtime. One of them, which he never actually attempted a pass, was that overtime game against the Ravens and, you know, put him on the map. So statistically speaking, though, in the fourth quarter, his worst, whether it was a comeback win or whether they were ahead, was this past weekend. Um, 0 for 7, um, which, you know – Starting out the fourth quarter, nearly throwing an interception to Jaquaski Tart, not a good look. And then, you know, that let the 49ers come back in this game. So I think it really boils down to, you know, we talk about quarterbacks in the fourth quarter and what, you know, what distinguishes a good quarterback from a great quarterback and their ability to finish games and finish drives. And, you know, for a defensive minded coach like Mike Zimmer, who's probably going to want to play that conservatively, like giving your court, your, your coach the confidence that you're not going to, you know, throw an interception that could, you know, change the game in the fourth quarter. Um, But I don't think he's ever going to be in that position where, We've seen some of these fourth quarter comebacks that he's had to lead. I don't think that's going to be something that we see all that often just because he's never had the luxury of playing with this defense. Um, The defense is, you know, Harrison Smith, that game ceiling interception, that was huge. Before that, Xavier Rhodes, that was huge. And obviously with Mike Hughes' pick six, I mean, there's – it's a good thing that you have a defense that can score a lot of points off turnovers. The defensive factor for the wins and losses is so massive. I mean, when you look at Washington and their ratings for the three years that he was there, he didn't have anything close to this. I mean, there's a handful of good players on that team, but nothing close to a team that has pro bowlers at every level. The Mm -hmm. defensive line, linebackers, secondary all over the place. Nobody that he's played with has been as good as Harrison Smith. No defensive line is anywhere close to this. So they can bail him out in some of those close games. But what I think of is throughout this year, 
if he has troubles like that in the fourth quarter, it will get them in trouble because Jimmy Garoppolo at U.S. Bank Stadium clearly was not ready for that challenge. And he's a fairly inexperienced quarterback, showed flashes of some of the things he can do, but that was a little over his head. And he's not Drew Brees, like mm-hmm. in, the, in the playoff game, making the fourth quarter comeback or, or whatever. We saw that from Garoppolo that maybe he's not quite on that level yet. Uh, but the Vikings are going to play other quarterbacks who are on that level as we go forward. They're going to play Tom Brady. They're going to play Drew Brees. They're going to play Russell Wilson, guys who will finish in the fourth quarter and if he tightens up like he did and almost throws a pick six, well, somebody's going to catch that at some point, right? So this is something that we are going to be watching closely. And I guess I would say in one way, I'm like, well, it's week one. It was one game, it's fourth quarter, that he got away with not playing very well at all. But at the same time, if your reputation is already as a guy who doesn't finish games and doesn't put his team always in a position to win. I I think if he did that same thing that he, if he played the same exact way as he did on Sunday in DC, that would have been a loss. There's no way Washington's defense holds them down in the same way. So he will get away with a little more leeway, but I think as the season goes along, there are going to be plenty of opponents where he's going to have to lead a game winning drive, where he's going to have to be up by six points in the fourth quarter and lead a five minute drive to kill the clock. Yeah, no, I agree. And and that that to me is a product of something he's done before. I mean, he's been we talk about the how you measure being clutch and, you know, coming through in those moments. It's a small sample size, but 12 games over the course of his career, he's done it. Um, he's also had some help. I mean, he had, you know, I think in the running game last year and one of his comeback wins later down the season, it was because you know, one of his running backs was able to score a 25-yard touchdown. I believe Blair Walsh also helped him by missing three field goals for Seattle in that game. That was one. And, I mean, he's had drive stall where I think one of his years, uh, Washington kicker hit a 50-yard field goal. Other years have been drives that have ended in field goals. It's 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 just something that's kind of interesting to look at. I agree with you. It's early. It's week one. But the, the, the contrast here is that he goes – to face a team this is his first time at Lambeau. So he's introduced to the rivalry. That's great. Whatever. But the last time he played the Packers in 2016, uh, he had one of his best fourth quarter performances ever. And I mean, we know what, how bad that season, you know, in 2016, how not great their defense was for the Packers. I mean, I don't think that that's, you know, it's probably one factor in it, but he was five for six for 145 yards touchdown in the fourth quarter. And in that time, I mean, they were never playing from behind. That's why that doesn't count in the comeback wins in the fourth quarter. But this is one of those examples where, you know, it makes you wonder, does he, is he a quarterback that needs that cushion? He's not Matthew Stafford with, you know, and Derek Carr in, you know, being put in those situations because your defense is never going to put you in that situation. But what happens if it does boil down to that? I mean, I just think it's something that's interesting to point out where, you know, the last time he was there, I mean, he was in, in that fourth quarter, he was dropping bombs. I mean, his average attempt was about, you know, 24, 24 yards per pass. So that's typical Kirk Cousins that we like to see in relying on the deep ball. But I don't know. I just thought it was kind of an interesting little angle to take a look at because what happens when, you know, that does, if it does come into play, they hope it doesn't. They hope that the defense that he has right now prevents that from happening, but it could. It just has the feel that there are going to be many close games this year. And maybe they'll catch a break this week and Deshaun Kaiser will play and they'll win by 30 points and it won't matter. And then if you're 2-0 and at this point, throw a big giant party because you've beaten 
two good NFC teams, and then you're going to go 3-0 and when you play Buffalo in Week 3, and then you head into the Rams and Philly game 3-0. and I mean, this has got the feel of a big early swing game that uh, if Aaron Rodgers does play, you feel like Cousins will have to come through in one of those situations. And, and I think you bring up a great point that – it's, it's much of being a guy who could come back from behind is what we kind of talk about all the time with quarterbacks, but being ahead is also a skill Can too. Can you maintain it? Yeah. I mean, heck, that's the reason he went head first last week, which obviously no one wanted to see because what happens if he got hurt. Um, that's probably not the way you should maintain a fourth quarter lead though. Then, Just saying. And it's Trevor Simeon and Kyle Slaughter time. Oh my goodness. Um, no, but I mean, it's a good, it's, <laughs> I just think the point we always talk, we only talk about quarterbacks when it's when in the fourth quarter when they're championing these long, these game winning drives. And yeah. sure, he has that skill, but how do you preserve a lead too and not throw a game away when you're 0 7 and right. you haven't completed a pass? Right. It might just be a game winning drive. You might also qualify as in the fourth quarter, five minutes left, you're up by three and you lead a touchdown drive. And then mm-hmm. it's over. And then the other team has no chance to win, basically. I agree with that. I think it's just, statistically speaking, we we talk about game-winning drives just from, I think, really only people keep track of those, like Elias and, and ESPN stats and information. And I think Pro Football Reference does it, too. Of, it's always losing. Yeah, it's always if you're losing. So, right. But Teddy Bridgewater was a great fourth-quarter comeback, a fourth-quarter quarterback. How many comebacks did he have to lead? Uh, you know, I mean, he was a great fourth-quarter quarterback because he could maintain, and I think that's the reason that Mike, Mike Zimmer loved him so much because as a defensive-minded coach, you're not freaking out that he's going to throw an interception. He's going to take the check down there and, you know, preserve your lead. I think that was one area where Bridgewater is significantly better in his short career than Cousins in his you know, Bridgewater had two years of starting, Cousins three of really starting, and where when you watch them back and when you look at those numbers, the situational stuff from Bridgewater was fantastic. I mean, it was never make a mistake in a big situation. It's very rare if he did. It was knowing the situation all the time exactly, how much time was on the clock, what the right thing was for that spot. And in Cousins' career, there are times where – he hasn't been as good at that. There's a, a game specifically that I was watching back last year against Kansas City where they need something like three yards or whatever on third down, six yards, and he launches a go route to Josh Doxson that falls incomplete and forces their kicker to make a long bomb field goal to tie the game against Kansas City. Just like there was no reason to launch it down the field. And that actually happened in this game against San Francisco. There was a play where all three tight ends lined up on one side. Conklin was in the game, and they ran at different levels, underneath, intermediate, and deep. Did that only happen like once, too? Yeah, I think it did, only the three tight ends once. Filippo really flipped around. He de-flipped around the uh, <laughs> personnel. Because he had them in. He had all three in on the on the play that I mean, not as route runners, as inline blockers. He had all three in on the on the fumble. They were all in on the, oh, okay. the, yeah. that one. And then gave them the same look later on the pass play, on the play action, right? But I think, didn't you say they were all on one side on that one? Yeah, they were. Okay. Uh, and so they all ran sort of different crossing type routes and... Or no, actually, Morgan stayed in. Well, the point is just Thielen goes at the deep route. He was the deep route. And then the other two went shorter intermediate. And... 
the short and intermediate both looked like they had a chance to be open. And instead he kind of launched it deep down the field for an incompletion to Thielen, mm-hmm. where it wasn't really necessary at that point to go for the big shot. They just needed to keep the clock moving and get a completion there. And those little things can make the difference. And if cousins isn't good in those spots, that's going to make it a lot harder for them, even though the defense will bail them out on occasion, but they won't bail them out against Aaron Rodgers. They won't bail them out against Wilson and against Drew Brees. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that I think is an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Like, you know, we're all assuming, as we said, Aaron Rodgers is playing until he's not. And what happens? I mean, you don't Rodgers in the fourth quarter last week too. I mean, it's a tale of two different quarterbacks, but I think he was nine for twelve in the fourth quarter, and you know had multiple touchdowns. I mean, he was a monster. So if you, you and that's the last person you want to get in a shootout with. Mm-hmm. So I think the big argument when, when he was coming in here is: Is he going to have to get in shootouts to win games? Probably not, because he's not going to be playing from behind that much, just because of the defense. Mm-hmm. But yep. what happens when that, if and when that's not the case? Yeah, that's kind of. Know. He's almost the baseball closer in a way that they're going to be ahead late in a lot of games. And can you get three outs Mariano Rivera style and make sure you get the win here? That's that's an interesting way of looking at being clutch. Um, The on the defensive side, we talked about all the shuffling around that happened, partly because Trey Waynes went down. Yeah, he's back. Mackenzie Alexander is back and look like they're in route to playing on Sunday. How do you think Mike Zimmer uses his cornerbacks this week? Do we see Alexander start? Do we see them switch back and forth every other drive between he and Mike Hughes? Because Hughes had the pick six. How are we looking at that? Well, I think, you know, on second watch of the, ta- of the, of the, just rewatching the game back. Grinding the film. Exactly. Um, Mike Hughes's game was good, but there were a lot of mistakes. If you, especially if you're watching the All-22, you can see where he's lined up. You can see who his assignment was supposed to be. I think the misdirection stuff that Kyle Shanahan threw, um, threw at the Vikings, and especially what they did with George Kittle, I mean, it's a lot for a rookie to take in. That's a lot to you know, to understand and conceptualize and be able to attack. Even, I mean, I think Xavier Rose even said it yesterday that you know there's a lot of things that need to get cleaned up. I wouldn't be surprised if... Like you said, you know, maybe they start McKenzie uh, Alexander and, you know, start him in the slot if they open up, um, you know, not in their base defense. If they, even if they don't, I mean, even if it's a few plays later, if McKenzie's the first player to go in, I'm not surprised. But I think they really liked what they saw out of Mike Hughes. And I mean, that, that interception is not just Hughes alone. As you mentioned, when with the blitz with J. Ron Curse, and I think Everson was in on that, got a pressure off that too. Um, you know, and Daniil Hunter, I mean, there's that, that set Mike Hughes up for that moment because he was playing off his, uh, the, whoever the receiver was. And, you know, he was right there to, to intercept that pass. I do wonder what, you know, we talked about this last week on the podcast. Did he play his way in that he's never going to let himself out of the starting lineup because he's so good? That's a possibility. Like maybe, you know, Mackenzie Alexander had a good game at Lambeau last year. That was probably one of his best performances, but he came on really slow. I mean, what, and it was against Brett Hundley. Yes, exactly. Like, is it going to, I mean, if Aaron Rodgers is going to, you know, look in and try to Drew Brees him, um, like what happened in the, in the uh, divisional game? that might see a very quick exit out of the game for Mackenzie Alexander. Yeah, I, I would guess that Alexander starts, 
but that we see a lot of Mike Hughes as the guy who's rotating in pretty regularly. That would be my guess for where they begin, because even though uh, Mike Zimmer clearly likes Mike Hughes, he also went on, like you said, to point out some of the weaknesses or some of the mistakes that, that happened throughout that first game. And if he feels like you can't put too much pressure on a cornerback early, especially at that nickel corner spot, then maybe he will prefer to kind of lean toward having Mackenzie Alexander more often. Who would you rather have? Here's my other question. When it comes to the depth factor of the cor- of the cornerbacks, because last week they got dangerously close to not having any uh, with, with Alexander out before the game and then they lose Trey Waynes, and that's the reason they go to J. Ron Kirst and like the three-safety look. Who would you rather have as a depth piece for Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes? I mean, Mackenzie Alexander was an elite outside corner in college, just despite being undersized. Um, Mike Hughes is also very, very good, and Zimmer was asked about this yesterday. Is, um, the answer was kind of weird, but it's like, uh, what's easy? What, what's he better at still? He said, well, playing the outside is... What was the quote? Is like easier but harder. Easier but harder, sense. and if that makes sense, like no, it doesn't make sense. But um, in a way, it does because the receivers are better. Or, yes, you know if you're going against, but you the, have the sideline as your boundary. Yeah, I think that right. the the actual fa- fundamentals of the position are easier. But that's where Julio Jones is. Sure. Um, but what would you rather have? Like, if, if would you ra- who would you rather have starting in the slot, and who would you rather have as your you know rotational? If Xavier Rhodes takes his seven minutes to you know, do whatever he needs to do in the third quarter if he gets injured. Um, or if you run into a situation where you're down on depth, who would you rather have? I think Hughes is the better player, uh, and I might prefer to see him sink or swim on some plays or learn on the fly on some plays because he's got the higher ceiling because, at least for next year, Wayne's under contract, Rhodes under contract, and Hughes is probably going to be the guy there, right, as the starting nickel corner. So unless he's really in over his head, which he didn't look like last week, even despite some mistakes, I would just say this guy's got the higher ceiling. Let's just rotate Alexander in from different spots. That, I, I think that that's the way that, that I would go with it now. Uh, speaking of the rotation, yeah. D-line rotation, sure. I thought that they had a tough time. When I looked back at every play that they were in, it wasn't very effective. Hiccups. I think that that was expected, and they're not going to be able to do it nearly as much as we mentioned uh, this week against the no huddle. But I didn't think it was that bad. I really, I mean, you know, when 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 you have a guy like Jaleel performing as well as he did, they're going to go with that guy. Um, you know, in in certain downs, and I mean. You still want your starting guys and the guys who are making your money because they, they've proven that they're in a position to do that. You want them there on your goal line stand. You want Sheldon Richardson forcing the pocket and, and you know just pushing Jimmy Garoppolo into Daniil Hunter for a sack. You want in those big marquee moments. But I think in kind of keeping these guys fresh, the number that we saw with, what, Everson Griffin playing – 71% of snaps, something, or 50, he played, I wrote it the other day. Um, let me find it really quick. Cause it, here we go. 77% of snaps. So he played, that's a, that's a fair number. I think, I think yep. that that you're never going to get. And I talked about, talked with us about, talked about this with Andre Patterson today. I don't think you're ever going to get in that Philly range. Um, it's all situational too. I mean, 
what the 49ers do offensively is different than what other teams do. And it's not like, oh, we're going to try to rotate this much percentage. And, you know, you think about Fletcher Cox and he, what, played like less than 57% of snaps during the regular season last year as a star defensive tackle. I think he missed like, a couple games, which probably that's sunk that sure. down a bit. But, I mean, that rotation, I don't know if they're ever going to get down to where it's literally – it's never going to be a 50-50 split, but it's never – you know, that was the first time that they used all eight in a game. Um, I would like, to, at least in the last few years, I would like to see more of that this week. I don't think we will. Um, but it's something to keep an eye on as you figure out what downs they're rotating guys in, who's going in, and kind of, you know, what that combination looks like. Because it did for a while, just to the naked eye, it looked like guys were running in and out all the time. I think that what we'll see is when the, the punter, whatever his name is, Matt Weil. Weil? Willie? Weil. Wiley? Ask him. No. Uh, <laughs> I got other people to interview. And you know what? I miss Quigley and how close we were, I guess. Uh, anyway, so when they punt it and, it and it traps the other team down inside their 10 or something like that, mm -hmm. that's a good time to rotate some guys in. Because, Early in the down. Right. I mean, or, or a kickoff and they're taking to 20 or whatever it might be when the other team has a long way to go. I, I think what Zimmer is going to try to do here is what hockey coaches have done for a very long time, which is when you have players that aren't as good as your top line guys, you're trying to match them up specifically with the right situations to kind of protect them a little bit because they clearly are not on the same level. And it was interesting to me, and we'll see if this continues to happen, that when the backups came in, Kyle Shanahan went bootleg, 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 like three plays in a row, three pass completions from Jimmy Garoppolo. And I wonder if he would have done that if Everson Griffin might blow that up off one side, you know, because Griffin or Hunter might see something pre-snap there and be like, oh, this is a bootleg. He's coming back this other way and just explode on Jimmy Garoppolo. But with the backups in there, it seemed like he knew he could take advantage. It might be coincidence, but it looked to me like they were using play action almost every time that any backup was in. That's a good point. And, you know, if you're trying to use play action with Everson Griffin in there, you don't have as much time to drop back and make a play. So tell me, what will be the determining factor, aside from Aaron Rodgers, of who wins and who does not win this sports game at Lambeau Field on Sunday? Well, you've seen their draft strategy and how it's uh, evolved over the last few years of how many defensive backs that they that they ch choose in the early rounds. Like, you know, for a guy like Kirk Cousins, seven years in this thing, like you, you think that there's got to be some sort of, you know, when he sees that on tape, when he sees how many young corners there are, that that's what you're scheming for. But, you know, they use a lot of defensive backs. I think they're constantly in a dime package. Like, it just kind of feels like that. And, that's something that I think that you scheme for and that, you know, with a lot of young talent and you have your receivers and your, in your, your skill guys should be able to win those battles. That's something that I think you hang your hat on. Um, it's just going to be, does he have enough time to throw and how does he handle, you know, how does, how does he handle that? I mean, that's something we saw him pick apart the secondary, the 49er secondary at points in week one. Um, and then, but it's kind of like conversely, I mean, we saw what Kyle Shanahan did to the Vikings defense, all the misdirection and, you know, using George Kittle and, 
um, a number of different ways that they threw Minnesota off. I think it's going to be kind of finding that perfect balance because, you know, this is a new defense. The Mike, they're used to a Dom Capers defense. A Mike Pettin defense, as Mike Zimmer said yesterday, is going to have more exotic looks. It's going to be, it's just going to be different. And I think that, you know, Kirk kind of come is lucky he comes in kind of with a blind eye of like, I mean, he's played the Packers twice in his career, once in the playoffs, once in the regular season. Now it's, you know, he, he's he's used to this in, in a way. He's, he's getting used to this in a way that maybe the other guys on the Vikings, the Vikings offense aren't because they were so used to seeing something else. And, you know, it's kind of been left out of this whole thing. Um, John Filippo coached under Mike Pettin in, in Cleveland. I mean, that was his head coach when he was the offensive coordinator there the first time. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody asked him about it today, but that's incredible institutional knowledge to have going into this game and what they might try to do and him being able to scheme against that. The Mike Pettin factor is big for me for what Green Bay does for this whole year. I mean, having covered him in Buffalo, I thought he was a, a very smart defensive mind and that he's going to be a a difference maker in getting the most out of Green Bay's talent. Uh, I look at the rookie corners as a big part of this, but also Delvin Cook averaged 2.5 yards a carry. I thought he still played really well and showed explosiveness, and I saw a stat that Delvin Cook had 45 yards gained after contact. He only had 40 yards total gain. So he's basically getting all of his yards after contact. Can so they... Clay Matthews said yesterday we saw him break, uh, you know, even on the the fumble. He broke four tackles right. just about, Can... which I don't, I don't know if that was the actual one. Um, but, you know, on the screen pass that went 17 yards, he made two guys miss. I mean, yep. he's a very physical finesse backer, too, which, you know, that's they're going to have to put a lot of weight on him this week. And that's what I think if Rodgers plays. Everything has to go with that. If Rodgers plays, that's the biggest difference maker to me for whether the Vikings win or lose is can they get Delvin Cook in space a little more? Can they get him some holes to run through? Because if you give him any space, he's going to have a big day. So can they get 100 yards rushing out of him? Can they get six more catches but maybe one for 25 yards or something like that? I thought they did a good job with it, but... I think the offense's success or failure is based on how well they can block for him and create space for him running and getting out on those screen plays. And, and that kind of goes back to uh, why Pat Elfline is so important. Um, anyway, so we got to run up to practice and we will be at Lambeau, right? You'll be Lambeau. There. All right. So we will talk to you again very soon on the Purple Podcast. Football. You want to say football one time before we leave? Just go No, on. you can say it. Okay, football. Football. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.